0: Welcome to the Learning and Development podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Sean Cooper, who is Learning Demand Design and Delivery Manager at Drax Group, having recently left Jet2, the airline company. In this episode, we talk about Sean's approach to L&D and the impact he's had, especially in his last role. But before we do, If you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice. That way, more people can find us. And thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Sean, welcome to the Learning and Development podcast. Brilliant. Thanks for having us, David. Really, really looking forward to getting involved and having a chat with you. Um, Now, Sean, it's been a tough few months. So first of all, how are you
1: and what has lockdown meant for you at Jet2? Um, yeah, so I think like everybody, it's uh, certainly been a bit of a challenge these last few months. Um, I think on a personal level, it's been really good, um, mm-hmm. you know, spending more time at home, um, remembering what it is to be a parent and a, and a family man more than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. the, the flip side of that is from a, from a career point of view and a jet two, um, I've unfortunately spent most of it on furlough. Um, and which has resulted in me uh, the role being made redundant. Um, I was lucky enough to keep a, a core element of my team still in um, supporting the L and D needs of the business, which I was really pleased for. Um, and they helped keep on driving forward some of the work that we've been doing at Jet2. So it's definitely been um, you know some pros and some cons. I think with with the whole lockdown situation. Yeah, the, it's it's uh, the same
0: everywhere. The airline industry has pretty much been decimated, hasn't it? And yes. You know, uh, of course, it's expensive to run um, as much as uh, as anything else. So um, uh, there have got to be some some short term cuts. But uh, but but hopefully we're all going to come out of this uh, very shortly. But you know, uh, I wanted to mention their jet too. I mean, first to say. Uh, to the listener, and to, to reassure them, you have just taken a uh, a, a new role, haven't you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I should, I should have I should have led, led into that as well. Yeah, so um, yeah, I have got a new role. I'm I'm uh, I was fortunate enough to, um, to to secure that while going through the, the consultation period. So it's not even that I've I've kind of been unemployed. It's straight in straight out of one into another. So Good. Um, I'm really pleased to be joining Jack's Group um, and kind of continuing um, the great work in blended learning and digital learning. So it's a and role that that really jumps out and speaks to me so very very excited for that.
0: Yeah, wonderful. So we can't talk about that uh, that role yet, but I did want to get you on because of the uh, the work that you had done at Jet2 which uh you know, the word transformational has uh, is banded about sometimes for such a um, small amount of change, but I don't think that it's uh um an understatement to to call it uh, transformational, what uh, what you've been through. But can you share with us some of that journey from perhaps what you were brought in to do,
1: uh, what you inherited, and from there? Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I love to think of it as transformational as well. Um, you know, I think when I joined Jet2 back in January uh, last year, um, you know, when I walked in, I didn't really know what, what I was getting or what I was inheriting. Um, at the interview stage, you know, it was very clear that what they were looking for was somebody to come in and really transform what L and D meant to the, the contact center, um, you know, the director very, very supportive forward thinking, um, in his approach to, to what he wanted from me. Um, and there was a real sense that they wanted to go on a digital journey, you know, transform what it is to go, you know, I suppose the traditional chalk and talk in the classroom and and revolutionize that. Um, but it was still kind of like, what am I getting, you know, what are the foundations that are in there? You know, what, what's going to be happening? You know, what have I got to work with? Um, and I suppose the answer is it was, uh, I had a great team um, i inherited a great team that had some absolutely fantastic knowledge of the business the operations the processes um but from a traditional training sense um it was very traditional um a lot of it was delivered um in the classroom um the kind of digital side of things was more contained for your compliance uh so any health and safety data protection you know all the stuff that i think you get you know, that traditionally learning gets tarnished with um, nothing really in the in the digital space from a personal development point of view. Um, so I kind of, you know, that's that's where I, I started with this, I suppose, blank piece of paper. Um, and I always remember sitting down for my first meeting with my manager, um, again, very, you know, always had my back on this. Um, and she basically said, here's your brief, turned the notepad over, blank piece of paper and said, make it happen. Um, and I'd never had that, you know. I'd always been in job involved with transformation and digital um, throughout my career, both at Orange and at Sky. Um, but for somebody to actually turn around and say, "This is yours now, make it make it work," I was like, "Right, okay, I can have some fun here." Yeah, it could be as frightening as it can be uh, exciting, though, can't it?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. I think there's, I definitely sent, felt a, a sense of fear um, at that point, but. um, I'm motivated by the challenge and that, that challenge was one that just, my eyes just lit up and it was, it was going to be interesting because I obviously had the people to consider as well. And I always remember the first meeting I had with my team and, and one of the, one of the girls, um, you know, turned around and said, are you here to make us all holograms? And I was like, no, no that's, that's not, I'm, I'm not that good. Yeah. <laughs> not yet um, anyway, maybe in five, six years.
0: <laughs> uh, and you mentioned there that, uh, that, uh, that, Digital wasn't really um, embraced for, for much other than uh, compliance. Um, but you went as far as banning the term e-learning um, and becoming more user centric. What was the situation there, and what were you trying to
1: achieve? Um, I think it's historically. I mean, speaking from a personal level, when you mention the term e-learning, you know, the first thing that jumps to my mind is it, it's the it's the dreaded health and safety off fire company. and we know we've got to do it, but a lot of it is, is big clunky courses that you know people have potentially just grabbed a powerpoint you know put it onto storyline put a bit of point and click animation and then and that's it and mm. as a user i always remember sitting there and going through it because i had to and, and clicking it clicking it clicking it um just to get to the end and pass your test and that's not learning to me that's just you know that that's that's just getting the knowledge that you need to be able to say you've done something and i think it was definitely that sense that E-learning, that was what was meant when you said E-learning at Jet2 um, um, or even, you know, in, in Sky in some respects, when you said E-learning, it was the, the traditional compliance courses. And I wanted my team to, to really think differently about what digital is, because digital learning to me is not about something that's mandatory or something that you have to do. It's about, you know, it's, it's about something that can enhance your job, whether it be, you know, prescribed or, you know, going to grab it yourself, you know, but getting that push pull element right, um, and I just thought that by changing the conception of my own team to think digital, not e-learning, will help them get their heads around actually what we wanted to achieve as a function. I think you've just described the legacy uh, of um, of e-learning.
0: It, it was uh, it was great at um, taking the pain away from learning and development. I mean, yes, uh, I was uh, my my first few learning and development roles or training and development roles, there there was no supplementary e-learning. And so I was delivering the manual handling training, the health and safety, uh, so much. And and often um, 20-minute, half an hour courses for just a handful of people. So e-learning came along and it's like, great, I don't need to do that anymore. You add into the mix as well that when uh, perhaps an organization's looking to maybe get rid of people the first port of call is did they do the uh, the compliance <laughs> training uh, so it's brilliant at backside covering uh, as well um but what we've done and the way that I, I interpret it is that we we didn't get rid of the pain we transferred the pain onto the individuals and we made them uh, not so much have an interactive experience with uh and uh, as with a lot of the face to face training on, uh, on, um, regulatory stuff. I mean, a lot of it was, was dull as well. Um, and delivered at people this whole load of, we need you to know this rather than let's help to, to instill some judgment yeah. in you. Um, but, but people ex- it expected to, um, absorb this information to understand enough for it to affect their performance, but more, Greater than anything else, devolving culpability from the organisation to the individual. We all got, we all got that. But then you kind of throw into the mix that, without trying to understand what it is that people are trying to do uh, or the challenges they face in service of those goals, here's twenty minutes worth of content that will help. It's like, yeah, that it's you know, it, we we sullied the term um, and. And, and I'm, sti- I'm still yet to see any good e-learning. I've been in learning and development more than 20 years. And I, I kind of see that um, uh, a lot of learning and development people have the IKEA effect when it comes to uh, to e-learning, that when they build it themselves, they've got an attachment to it. Although a lot of the time, I'm not sure whether you've experienced this as well, they'll show you some e-learning and, and you'll look and think, oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I think, um, you know, it's... <laughs> it's really interesting because a lot of the stuff that, and that, that was designed and I suppose, I think the good thing is that as I look at jet two, now I'm leaving a lot of the stuff they're doing now is really forward thinking, not just from my team's point of view, but the wider, wider business. And I'd like to think I had a little hand in that, but, um, you're right. I think, you know, I always remember doing a fire safety and they try and make it interactive and you try to escape an office building and it on the different things. But <laughs> then the message is lost because actually all I'm trying to do is escape this fire build, this, yeah. this building and actually, you know, clicking here and clicking there to get out of it. Um, and, you know, that's, that's kind of what we wanted to change or what I wanted to change. And, you know, the, the, the designer that I had at Jet2, you know, I, I gave her a very clear brief. I was like, you know, when we create the digital, we, we want to kind of make it as short, snappy and user centric as possible. Um, you know, I want you to think if you're on the phone, you've only got, you know, a couple of minutes to get the information you need how are you gonna bring that to life and, and bring it to, to, to the forefront for people that doesn't feel like a prescribed e-learning course? And, and it's a challenge, you know, to say to, to a designer, I don't want anything longer than five minutes long from you because the go-to is let's create a nice, all singing, all dancing, but actually to get them to think differently and think that actually uh, an infographic is just as powerful as, an, as, a, as a simulation was, was a really, I suppose, challenging thing to do, but we got there.
0: And you and you moved from um, from a courses approach to a resources approach, which is a principle uh, of Nick shakta Jones from uh, from courses to resources. Can you describe what this is and what you did?
1: Yeah, and it, it's interesting because the resources to courses thing came from from listening to to your podcast, and um, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm an avid listener. Before so when you asked me to join, it was a big big tick for me. Um, but it was that I was listening to the Nick Schackleton Jones podcast, and um, I'd read the book, and you know I was really keen to think about actually, you know, when people are looking to do the job, you know, they don't want to go and you know, they don't want to set half an hour to go and do a piece of e learn. And what they want to do is be able to grab something. Um, and what we did is very, very early on in the journey is we 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 kind of had this mentality that when we've got the classroom, we've got the classroom, and you know we're going to use that and you know, we're going to use that to our advantage. But when it comes to the digital side of things, let's forget about creating courses. Mm. Um, I've wanted to, you know, my end goal was to to kind of go away from any pre, pre-subscribed courses. So everything was, you know, down to the user to go and get that. And I was saying to them, the, the, this is really interesting concept around actually, let's create resources. You know, when you join the company, when you join the business, what you want is a set of resources that can help you throughout your journey. And you can go back to and refer back to and, and that's where we wanted to get to or where we got to is that, um you know, to the point now where people are coming back off furlough and we're not having to do webinars or bring them into the classroom. We, we're we giving them the resources that we've created along the way uh, that are all then kind of reference points. Go to your holidays or send, find a whole host of resources. Mm. If you're struggling with how to make an amendment, click on the amendment resource and then rather than it being a huge chunky piece of learning. What you've got there is a really simple step-by-step guide on how to do that and service the customer in the best way. And that we're giving them the easy access to that information. You know, they don't have to get up off the seats when they're in the office or put their hands up on teams to, to get the team leader help them. They can go and grab that and, and service it. Um, and, you know, I think that the best learning takes place when, when you're in the thick of it, when you've got that customer on the end of the phone and you want him to do what you need to do, Um, And I think this resource mentality has, has helped us move to that. Mm. It's it's, it's really useful uh, to
0: when trying to understand resources, to think about the context What you just described, there was the context of somebody needing to perform a lot of the time in learning and development, because the learning event is, is, is away from the working event. And it doesn't matter whether it's face to face or relearning. Um, but I mean, it's easier to, uh, to imagine when it is face to face that somebody faces a challenge, they need to, to be able to deliver a presentation. They book on a program, they attend a few weeks or months later. So they've probably done that presentation. Um, then they, then they're on this course and they, they experience this thing. And then they, afterwards, they need to wait for another presentation. We do tell yeah. them afterwards, you need to, you need to, um, employ this quickly. Otherwise you'll lose what, what. You've learned today. And again, with e learning, although, and there, I think that there's a lot of um, confusion around learning in the flow of work because you can do e learning where you work, but the, but the stop, stop what you're doing, go to a program that may or may not be addressing what it is that you're trying to do to absorb this for, uh, again, a learning event just in case there's something useful that you can apply again in the future. What you're talking about here is understanding the challenges that people are facing or will be facing, giving them enough information to act with confidence and competence so that you can influence the way the work is done and ultimately ultimately the results. But it's focused on the doing, the work itself, rather than the learning, which is the absorption of information uh, to recall at some undetermined time in the future. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that that's hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, for me, we 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 don't we don't track or report on any of the, the resources. We you know, obviously, we we want to make sure that our pages have been hit. But the, the key for me is um, with the resources create is what impact they've had at the end of the day in the in the performance of those individuals. Has it helped them service the customers? Has it has it helped increase sales? um and has it stopped that you know that that traffic of going out and haven't find that information and i think you know we 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 certainly experiment and we've learned the flow of work we're not 100% there just yet um but you know i think we we we're getting there um and a lot of what we what what we've created in jet2 and what our team have created isn't on an LMS or an LXP mm. it's it's on a resource library that we've created using sharepoint it's You know, always there. You know, you don't have to log into it. It's it's on your desktop. You can access it whenever you want. Um, And it's that that shift away. I think you know, from from not just traditional methods, but I suppose traditional delivery methods as well as content methods that we we've tried to adapt.
0: And that's the thing uh, that uh, that um, when you're when you're you can experiment with digital using the tools that you already have. Um, The the important things are that you gain some kind of adoption, and it's moving you towards achieving. Something important, so you can see milestones along the way I mean once you 've got a proof of concept, then you can get the smarts and you can That's it, yeah. entire journeys and you can uh, look at how you 're marketing that a b test and have smart, again smart technology do some of that work for you. but yeah, to get up and running, I was on a, a, a panel with uh, with Adam Harwood um, crpd conference a while back, and somebody asked the panel um, what um, what what, what would you do if, uh, if you've got an LMS full of content and nobody's using it? Adam leaned forward before anybody else and just said, sternly, unplug it and see if anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, which not a lot of people can do because there's so much invested in it. And of course, when launching an LMS, you, gain, uh, uh, you spend a lot of currency, um, as well as money, um, getting buy-in for it. So not a lot of people can unplug it. But what you're describing here is that you've probably got tools that are easier to access uh, and then track, uh, well, yeah. create content and track than an LMS, which um, which again is, uh, is uh, suffers from the um, uh, the perception that, uh, that a lot of e learning does. Yes, definitely. Now you mentioned um, that you previously worked at Sky. Uh, we had Tracy Waters on the uh, uh, on the podcast last year, um, uh, and she talked extensively about agile. Um, now, you experienced it there, and you introduced it at Jet2. How did this work?
1: Yeah, so um, I think uh, I, I started to dip my toes in with Agile uh, towards the end of my my Sky career. Um, the last couple of years that I was working there, and I started to get involved with the the, the big transformation projects. You know, it, it became more and more the way to work with Agile, and it, it really opened my eyes. And um, I probably failed a few times when I was using it at Sky, but those lessons helped me when I moved to Jet2. And, the, the first big project that I wanted to land was, was the transformation of one of the induction programs at Jetty. And um, I was working with um, no budget, very tight timeframes. And to do that, what I realized is that Agile was, was certainly going to be the way forward to make it happen. So I introduced the concept to the team that you know, we'd, we'd start to work in sprints. Um, you know we'd, we'd have a set you know, topics that we wanted to get out there. And, you know, we prioritize with the business, which ones would be, would be the ones we'd go after. Um, and then, you know, I think the biggest game changer was, um, introducing the concept of, of using MVP, the minimal viable product, because, you know, and, and I've been guilty of this myself. I think this is where my key learning for Agile at Sky came is that I always wanted the shiniest or the biggest and the all singing, all dancing yeah. solution where actually, to prove a concept, I don't need that. What I need is something that will help me demonstrate to my stakeholders that actually this model that I wanna implement is gonna work. Mm. So I wanted to make sure that they knew that we'd, we'd be working in sprints, that you know we'd, we'd set out and we'd, we'd achieve what we needed to achieve in terms of the content within these clearly defined areas that we were gonna run for. But what we were looking for is an MVP that we could get out you know, at different stages and test. And because we were turning around such a vast amount of content, it was also a way that we could get these out to stakeholders and get them to sign off and agree on the, con- the, the different models and, and resources as we were going through. Um, so it was um, it was a journey because, you know, I can't pretend to be a a, a fully-fledged Ag- agile practitioner. I'm still on my own learning journey with it. I think every time I move, I, I get better and stronger um, with it. Um, but obviously, at the same time as me adapting it yet again, I was having to, to coach a... Uh, a whole set of people that had never, you know, that had only ever worked in waterfall or mm. had always, you know, had a project that they just focused on solely. Um, so it was, it was, a, it was a good, a good journey. Um, and you know, I think the results that we've seen from that first project where we used agile, then kickstarted. So every, every big piece of work that we did from then on, it was that same concept, you know, daily stand ups, stand downs, working in sprints, always looking at actually getting the MVP out first, with the, with the view of then going back and putting the polish on it and adapting it once we'd seen the use case and the business case be proved of what we were, we were doing and the induction model that I'm talking about in particular, you know, went from very, you know, one, one stage that we saw when we piloted it in June to something completely different that we've got out there now and, and the content's still the same, mm. but the, the content's been enhanced and, and built on as we've been through it.
0: Now, Sean, I'm always told that what listeners really want are detailed examples uh, of what you did, the results you achieved. So could you talk us through some initiatives uh, that you led, um, the reasons you got involved, your approach and results and how you brought people with you?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think the first, there's a probably a couple that um, and they both link into each other really nicely that, that I think are really relevant to, to what we're chatting about today is um, I think the first one was when I joined Jet2, you know, I mentioned that it was quite traditional and, you know, everything was done in the classroom and everything was referenced um, by what they called the the manual. So this was a a huge 500 page um, paper-based red folder that every new starter got when they joined the company. Um, And I remember thinking, wow, um, how am I going to find what I need to find? when I'm speaking to somebody and I've got this this, this folder in front of me. Um, so the first thing that I immediately spotted was that there has to be a better way to do this. Um, and that's kind of where the resource library um, came to in its first iteration. Um, so what I started to do is look at how we could digitalize all of this content into, you know, something that could be put online um and and not put on an lms um you know just put online so so people can get easy access to it so they don't have to go thumbing through all these different pages Um, and that's where the the sharepoint resource site was born from um transferring this to a digital work digital space and first iteration of it was was really straightforward um i'll be honest we 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 took all of the you know everything was on pdf and powerpoint so we took all of the content And I just created with the team individual pages for each of the different points in that manual. Um, But rather than just putting the PowerPoints or the PDFs on SharePoint, we put them, we copied and pasted and put them onto web pages. So it it felt a little bit more user-friendly. Was it perfect? No, but it it was enough to to get us across where we needed to be. Um, And that that was, I suppose, the first part of it to show that actually, not everything has to be done the way that you do. You know, we can take something that is known for, you know, known as the only way to, to get knowledge there. And we can do things a little bit differently and make it a little bit more easy for, for the user. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was going through that, what we also then, what I then spotted was, you know, i have been brought into to digitalize or, or blend the induction. So, you know, we had um, a lot of new starters joining the business that were being employed to work from home. Yeah, what we were doing was we were, we were bringing them in to either the office or a rented office for, for two to five weeks at a time with the grad bay attached um, and training them face-to-face in an office environment where actually they're going to be working from home. So how far you've been employed as a home worker, yet you're going to be in a static place for for at least five weeks. Um, and. Initially I'd always set out that in terms of the inductions, it was going to be a two year plan. So we'd probably only be implementing them roughly about now. Um, but looking at, you know, what was achievable, I'd spotted quite quickly that the, the sales induction in particular um, lended itself to, to quite a quick transformation in terms of what potentially could be achieved. Mm. Um, and this is where the first Agile project that I mentioned, we really kicked in with. So we started to look at actually what was included in, in that induction model um you know what could we do to to almost break it and rebuild it um and build a proposal that we could go to stakeholders with and um, so you know going to to the senior group and, and saying look i want to i want to break your induction and i want to pilot it in in six weeks time really can you can you do it <laughs> i was like let us see um and you know i said you know on the back of it what i'm looking to do is you know i want to i become a big of, of data driven you know i don't want, i want to be able to go back and say look i said i'm going to do something this is what I'm, I'm going to do and this is what i'm going to impact and you know i only had three key metrics i wanted to you know reduce attrition and improve speed of competency and, and increase performance you know i suppose the basics really but i, I wanted to be able to go and, and have some real tangible business benefits on the back of it so showed them what I wanted to do. Um, it wasn't gonna be a full digital induction. Um, there was part of me that actually wanted to, to get people to do it before they even joined. And then as soon as they joined, they'd be logged on from day one taking calls, but you know, baby steps. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was a blended induction model um, that I wanted to implement. And I think that's kind of, um, you know, where I now see my passion is, is, is looking to blend the classroom and the digital. So what we did is we took this five week, you know, two weeks in a classroom, three weeks in grad bay, um, induction, and we shortened it to a week, if you like. Um, and only two days of that were in the classroom. Um, but this wasn't so much about bringing people into the classroom to transfer knowledge. This was about giving them a warm welcome to the business. So one of the things that I wanted to do is add that human element to it. Mm. Um, you know, you're going to be joining the business as a home worker. Um, you, you're maybe not going to get to see a lot of your colleagues, um, and you fret, you know the people that you're going to work with on a daily basis. So, what I wanted to do is have this first two days is almost like a bit of a, a bit of a wow day. So, bringing them into the head office, getting to meet the leadership team, getting to know a bit about the brand, and also giving them their equipment as well. So, you know, giving them all of the key things they're going to use, introducing them to some of the concepts that we'd be doing as a learning, you know, as a learning journey. Um, and that proved really successful, you know, that was, that that kickstarted, I think, everyone's engagement with the business. And then what we did is we looked at, right, how do we take these two weeks worth of content and make it readily accessible and that it can be done remotely and flexibly during that week as and when people need it. Um, and it was a case of stripping it back, putting in webinars where needed, um, introduced the, the flip classroom mentality to my team so that, you know, the guys that were delivering the webinars and we'd always have one at the start of the day, um, which was about, you know, this is what we recommend that you go in and look at today. Um, and then, you know, the one at the end of the day was getting back together and saying, right, so, you, you know, who's looked at the resources? What do you think that means in the real world? So the the, the classroom element of it, if you like, became more about actually adding the the, the context around the knowledge. And I've become a big believer in, you know, knowledge without context isn't learning. It's, it's when you have the knowledge and the context together seamlessly yeah. that the true sweet spot, I think you hit it. Um, and that's kind of why we topped and tailed it in that way. And then what we did is we, we, we went and we, we created all of the digital resources that were going to be needed that used to be 200, 300 PowerPoint slides and a few flip chart activities, mm. uh, systems training that nobody thought you could do unless you had them sat there typing away on their computer with you in the room. So a bit of simulation, bit of step-by-step guides, real blend of content. Um, we had, um, we looked at, you know, very big believer in, in user generated. So because we weren't, we didn't have the platform that allowed us to create user generated content, what we did is we we got out there with our iPhones and we captured, you know, the best, you know, the top sales advisors. Um, the training team sharing their top tips and created little videos that the people could access. Um, and you know, that then started to create it and cause we were working in sprints, you know, we had the critical stuff that we knew we had to do that was going to be digital. Um, we had the stuff that was less of a priority because we knew if we didn't meet it or we didn't get that done, we could always do it in the classroom or webinar. Um, but you know, we actually got to the point where we, we got everything done ready for the pilot of that. Um, Feedback was amazing um, from the group, um, which is, you know, always nice, but I'm not here to, to get the happy sheets. I want to see what I can do. Um, so we, you know, we followed that up with you know surveys around actually are you using the resources that we created? And we saw that actually after the inductions you, we, were st- we were seeing that the new starters were around about 74% of them were actually revisiting all of the resources and the stuff that was on the LMS to actually help them with the job. Um, And we also wanted to make sure that we create a sense of community. So we, you know, the Grad Bay became virtual. So the Grad Bay was was, um, monitored virtually via Teams. Um, It was the start of a a bit of a Teams revolution at Jet2 as well, I think. Um, You know, it wasn't widely adopted at this point. Um, And it just exploded, which I think has helped where we are now, the current pandemic. but the the grad be so the on the job learning, coupled with the resources and the digital learning journey that we created, we we ended up having this I suppose sweet spot of a blended virtual induction that you know I delivered six months ahead of where I wanted to be, um, and it actually resulted in you know the end goal of of getting new starters home working and, and getting a, a huge population of home workers at Jet Two, um, you know I think. It, before the pandemic at the end of the year, we were at about 84% of the home working population. Um, a lot of that was directly attributed to the new onboarding model. Um, in terms of what I set out to achieve, um, I, I can't go into the figures, but we we increased revenue for every new starter that joined. And the attrition dropped because uh, we actually, one of the big things that I wanted to do was, was test it. So we had this group that we had on the pilot but we also had a, a group that joined on the traditional model in January when I started. So I had a a very, you know, not a huge sample size, but I had two pots of people that had gone through both methods of induction that I could track, not just their, their performance data, but the attrition data against as well. Um, which then allowed me to go back to say, right, I said that I was going to do this, this, and this, um, here you go, um, achieved. Uh, and then rolled out, um, became the BAU induction, uh, not just for home workers, but for for the, for the staff joining the contact centre as well. Um, but instead of, you know, doing all of the remote listening from home, they, they sat and buddied and did their learning at the desks when they needed to. And and yeah, it just became BAU from that point onwards. That's testament to the approach
0: I hear. Um, uh, I have conversations with L&D professionals who want to create um, a digital experience for, say, satellite offices uh, away from headquarters. and. Um, And the conversation I want to have with them is how do you create something that at headquarters they say, well, can we have that too? Because it is so good. And it seems as if by challenging whether you need to bring people together for the for delivery. You create something that is so fit for purpose, which I love. You're know, you laser focused on solving real problems around attrition, around speed to competence, around revenue. They're the critical parts. They're things that are really important to your organization. And therefore, if they're important to your organization, it doesn't take much for it to become important for either stakeholders or the individuals you're seeking to influence. And if your actions then uh, are all in service of Getting an uptick in that data, then then you you make sure that you experiment to move the needle. I, I absolutely love it. It is I mean yeah. it's textbook. It's in, I mean it's, you must look that look at it now and think well it's totally common sense as well.
1: Yeah, I I, I kind of look at it and and you know a lot a lot of people it certainly felt like this is ground, but to me it was just mm-hmm. like well this is what we should you know this yeah. is what we should be doing and um you know you mentioned the data side of things as well and it's like for me. If you want me to do something, tell me what you want me to impact, and yeah. it's it just seems so like I say, so basic, but quite often missed. Um, but yeah, it's it, I think I'm so proud of that what what we did there, and I think that but not think I know that because of that, you know, when obviously you know this whole COVID situation kicked in, it allowed the team, my team, but also the the wider Jet Two team contact center to, to adapt to it because mm. teams was was highly adopted resources was was becoming more has become more and more the norm you know the the, the amount of times now we drag people out to a classroom is is minimal um, you know we, we don't do that anymore what we do is we look at you know we look at creating the right resource for the right you know business need rather than actually so when a process changed you know traditionally it'd be like right get everybody in let's teach them on the new process whereas now it's like well, let's create something that people can reference and not force it on them and they can get it when they need it um, yeah so it's it's been good and of course
0: you were then recognized um with the silver award at the learning tech awards which must
1: have been a very proud moment for you and your team yeah hugely proud um i, I think I'd, I'd always set myself a goal when when i joined jet 2 that i was going to win an award by 2020 Um that was what i wanted to do it was just a little personal goal of mine that. You know, I wanted to get recognized, um I suppose a bit a bit of ego boosting really more than anything <laughs> else. But when I won it, it, it wasn't the award that made me proud. It was it was my it was the fact that my team won that award. Um and I think that that for me is you know, everything that I've done in Jet2, um learning wise and, and digital and transformational wise has been fantastic. Mm. But the team and the way they've adapted and evolved to the point now that I can step back and know that my legacy will be carried on by, by the team that's still there. Mm. Um, I think that was the proudest moment. And it wasn't about winning the award, it was about the fact that uh, a designer that had never been a designer before had designed this induction program and been, and, and, and won an award on it. And the mm. team that had never really embraced digital before had got behind this and backed it and won it. That, that to me was the proudest moment. And the people side of the transformation, I think is quite often forgot about but what what my team have done, they're not my team. But you know the, the journey they've been on, couldn't be prouder of that. And, and obviously the the industry saying, yeah, you've done a good job.
0: I've I've always found that uh, that influencing the learning and development team themselves to do something different is the hardest part of that change. Employees, yeah. if you're giving them what they need when they need it during periods of adaptation, they jump on it. Uh, as long as you don't remove the stuff that they enjoy, it's almost like you ca- it can't be all digital. There's still got to be an opportunity to come together. They ca- it's almost yeah. as if you can't you can't be seen to be taking stuff away. But largely, pe- give people what they need when they need it in order to perform, and they'll jump on board. Stakeholders um, are it's difficult because of the, um, the, the the transaction of buying and selling training. Stakeholders asking for it, selling it to their staff, asking for it with um, with L and D. It's a, um, it's, it's a long-established trope. Pe- you know, if people know, know uh, how to engage in that. And, of course, you can influence stakeholders with data as well and talking about what they really want to see as different. But the L&D team, to start unpicking some of that know-how around creating and delivering learning rather than facilitating and uh, achieving real results via experimentation with agile and resources, uh, and workshops rather than training—that's the tough part. That um, yeah. uh, I don't know whether whether that was your experience, but you have already said your team was great. Uh, to come yeah, with.
1: yeah, it is. It it, it, it it was a journey for some of them. <laughs> you know, a few, a lot of people adapted a lot quicker. Um, in the end, everybody did, but um, there was certainly that challenge. What do you mean? We're not going to sit there and tell these people this process, we need to tell them, we need to Mm. tell them how to do it. I'm like, no, trust me, we don't need to tell them. We can't just let them do it. We can't, you you can't just just tell them. (laughs) Um, Because it's that fear because I suppose for, for, you know, a lot of people, you're a subject matter expert and you're the fountain of all knowledge. Mm. Whereas all of a sudden you're not, you're just facilitating that now and you're just pointing them in the right direction. Or, you know, you get a team's message, can you give me this information? No, why don't you go check this? Yeah. Instead, and it, it's that fear of actually. Well, if I'm not the fountain of all knowledge, what am I actually here to do? And and yeah, it took took a while, but you know they that team now. I, I think that you know I've got no doubt that I'll look. You know I'll be reading about the the success that that team will still have. um And I think you know if you leave a job, and you know that they're still going to succeed, I think you've done your job that you were brought in to do. And that's the way that I'm looking at that side of it.
0: Well, Sean, I'm assuming that. uh uh, once you had a more traditional approach to l and d looking for learning needs, leaning heavily on classroom training as the cornerstone of any solution, and procuring or building e learning but what prompted you to can i say swim against the tide and and to change and,
1: and modernize yeah I certainly did um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like like any like any of us I think that um initially when i when I started in england my my first job was to stand in a classroom at Orange and um, deliver briefs on phones and tariffs. And Mm. it was literally, I'm going to stand here and and talk at you and you're going to take it all and then go away. Um, And then, you know, after that, I became, I I first got into design really. And you know, my first part of college design, it was when the big um, accelerated learning boom happened and Mm. everything was flip chart oriented. Let's create a new flip chart. And I always remember watching a pilot of one of the courses i would designed and um, one of the delegates turned around to the trainer and said, you're going to make us do another flip chart now, aren't you? And I, it was at that point. I was like, Oh God, there's gotta be a better way to do this. Um, and I think it was that, the, this fact that, you know, that yeah. said, um, because he is me thinking, Oh, nobody wants PowerPoint, but you know, and, and we'd had it drilled into us that effective, you know, facilitation, get people to create posters and let people get creative, but then. That's not what everybody wants. And no. there's only so many times during an induction that you can say, right, grab a piece of flip chart." And yeah. that moment the trainer was just about to say it and the delegate said it. I was like, right, things need to change. And um, when I joined Sky, initially I joined as a trainer, but um, a, couple, a, a year and a half into the, 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 my journey at Sky, I, I got the chance to set up and design, I set up and manage the design and consultancy function. Um, within the retail estate. And and that's really where I wanted to challenge what traditional training was. Um, We we still did a lot in the classroom, um, but I think what we did in the classroom was was blending classroom and digital. So uh, I had this realization a few few weeks ago that um, I was reviewing some old photos on my Mac and um, about five years ago, me and my designer at the time, we were out down in Bristol videoing um one of the retail stands setting up their own retail stand that we then used as a as an instructional video that we we pushed out to the estate um, but you know that that's kind of where the real passion for it started and i think from that point onwards it's it's always been about how do we create a user experience um and i think that's it you know i think um, that's why i decided to swim against the tide is you know i wanted to put the user at the heart of everything that we that, that i do um, that everything that my teams create um everything that I, I roll out is as an end user is it going to is it fundamentally going to help me do my job mm. and if you are going to drag me into a classroom is it going to be a solution that i can have a real experience about and yeah. Um, you know, I, I listened to a podcast that he did with Danny Seals and you know, I know he's very big on, on experience design. It really resonated with me that actually we've got to create experiences for these people because if we don't, how, how are they going to remember what we're doing? Um, yeah. Whether it be digital or classroom-based. And, and that's what made me, me, me swim against the norm, I suppose. Um,
0: and Sean, uh, my, my final question then. Um, uh, if The listener likes what they're hearing. Um, uh, and would like to move towards your approach, as we've said, embracing data more, um, experimenting—if not going fully agile—and certainly experimenting with the uh, uh, with the approach, uh, being more performance focused and therefore using resources. And as you mentioned, only dragging people to the classroom when it when it's really necessary, when it's an important um, experience. But we also know that there are constraints around L D, largely. The expectation from within their organisation, perhaps their line manager in uh, in L and uh, or for any other reason that they perceive that they can't change. What advice would you give to them uh, about how they can um, progress with their both their thinking and their practice in order to
1: to be where you are? I think. Um first thing i I would say is is find a a a believer and that sounds a bit bit cheesy but find an advocate within the business that that backs or or believes that this approach and and i I, you know i I, you know i I was quite lucky the the director that i was working for in the contact center was a big believer in this approach anyway but it was about actually finding somebody maybe not that senior that, that could get behind it and having them as that the advocate for your approach helps I think to drive that traffic because I think that you've you've got to think of that stakeholder group in particular that you're trying to influence. They, they, they may be very stuck in the ways and there was quite a few people that I've come across in Jet2 that, that I've I've had to really, really work hard to to get behind. And I think what's helped me is is having those pockets of enablers within the business that that really believe it. And, and the other thing that I think is fundamental is, is the data side of it and being able to say, let me pilot something first. Cause I think that quite often, and, and I have certainly been guilty of it in the past, you rush straight out of an end product. Mm. Um, but I think if you, if you can take the time and, and pilot something and that, you know, I think the, the sales induction is a key, key one, you know, piloting something that big, it doesn't have to be as big as that. But because I was able to pilot something and be able to then go back with the data and say, well, actually look, this is, this is what you've seen on the back of it. This is, what, this is what this approach can do. Like you said earlier on, data speaks volumes for a lot of, a lot of the senior stakeholders. And, and that, I think, was, was the key. My key takeaway is, is find somebody that, that can be an advocate for what you're doing um, and use the data to your advantage. Fantastic. So, Sean, if people want to follow or connect with you on social
0: media, how can they do so?
1: Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best. Um, I've not been as, as prolific as I like on there, but um, I am planning to to up my LinkedIn game um, moving forward. <laughs> um, but Sean Cooper at link, uh, on LinkedIn is is definitely the best bet to, to get in touch with me.
0: Wonderful. I'll put the, uh, the link in the show notes. But uh, thanks, Sean. This has been a, a fabulous conversation. And thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development podcast.
1: No, thanks for having us. It's been amazing. Cheers, David.
0: I'm often asked, Who's doing great stuff that's forward-thinking and successful in L&D? I'm always heartened when meeting people like Sean to know that the answer is more people than we know. It's important we continue to share stories and profile professionals like Sean, who show the way forward is less about new and novel, and more about experimenting to make a demonstrable difference. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at DavidInLearning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.